Hey everybody, we back again. We back. I'm Spencer, and of course we have our licensed clinical therapist, Nas. Guess me, Doctor Nas. That is he. Wow. And this is the Different Spectrums podcast, where we talk about movies, shows, and the mental health aspects that surround them. We also like to have some laughs, so don't take us too seriously. Or do. That's up to you. There you go. Also, don't forget to run up those likes for us. We'd really appreciate it. So today, before we get to our guest, shout out to all of our collaborators. We have a lot of them. We've got Bub's Naturals, Cure Hydration, Pinfinity, Silver Dollar Candle, Two Nerds Candle Company, and Cat and Raven Company. It's a mouthful, but you know what? You can go check out our link tree. Uh, all of our links to our great collaborators are on there, and you can get twenty per, up to 20% off your entire order if you use the code DSP or DSP20, or just by clicking the link in our link tree. So go check them out. So today we have a special guest for the show. He's a licensed clinical therapist. He's also the co-founder of Viva Mental Health, which Viva. is a multi-state mental health practice. He's also an author who has a book coming out November 7th Not by the name read. of Self-Care for Black Men, 100 Ways to Heal and Liberate. Please welcome Jarrell Caraballo. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Welcome to the show. We got He can spell where he can spell. You got a book you can spell. <laughs> I know all the typings. I can type it all. I know all oh. my letter words. I a little know bit, all. A little bit. <laughs> well, that's one of <laughs> we're one for three on the show now. Yeah, can actually type, at least so. one person can spell on the show. I don't know where commas go, so don't. I, I just, just have run on sentences. <laughs> Listen, don't keep talk on to going. my editor. Don't talk to my editor. No talk to your editor. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Mm-hmm. We've been there. Yeah. I'll just capitalize the random letters at this point. <laughs> uh, I saw awesome. it in a meme. I swear to God. I, I thought this was capitalized. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome to the show, Jarrell. We really appreciate it. Um, so today we're going to be getting into the movie Moonlight um by the great production company a24 um so today we're going to be talking about uh vulnerability <laughs> masculinity um also about healing right we're going to be talking a lot about healing uh so before we get into the show Nas, is there anything uh, uh you know a lot of you folks right we know that you love us and you follow us but this is a trigger warning to be cautious when watching these scenes um know that they're you know there's going to be some homophobic stuff in there at the beginning. There's going to be some trauma. There's going to be a lot of tears and emotion. Uh, so a little bit of a trigger warning for some folks uh, for the scenes. This is this is a heavy one. I know we do a lot of fun stuff, athletic stuff, comedy stuff. This, this is a heavy one. We haven't done the heavy one in a little bit. This is a heavy one. So if you haven't watched it, I highly recommend folks go watch it, especially if you're in the LGBTQIA community. More of a movie to check out. If you're a black or brown bodied individual, I highly recommend to check this out. If you know, trying to educate folks, um, this class system that we got masculinity in schools and like living kind of in poverty and you're like, well, everyone's got a fair and equal shot. As one of my clients told me the other day, you know, they should just try harder. Ooh. I'm like, I said, I, I don't agree with that. 
but we're gonna keep going on. He said, "Well, I don't like you. Don't agree with that. So I don't like you." So I didn't say that, but I wanted to. <laughs> Son of a gun. Um, so it's a tough one. Wonderful movie. I haven't watched it in a while, obviously, because to me, it's just you're just crying, uh, and it's traumatic. But a lovely movie won a bazillion different awards. It's the first time I realized a movie that could even win that many damn more awards. I didn't even know there was that many awards until this movie came out. Uh, <laughs> like, damn. <laughs> you know, again? <laughs> the, the next award. We back. <laughs> oh, my God. Just like the podcast. We back. We um, back. Uh, so I'm excited to get into this. Been wanting to get into this. I'm really excited for... Uh, Gerald will be with us today. Um, I I've been I've been waiting to send you the invite after we got a little bit more validation and, and more reputable. You didn't have to wait. Nah, you, before you, could, you, I had to get my gauntlet before I got all the Infinity Stones. <laughs> all right, let's get to the show. Whoop whoop. Whoop whoop. whoop. He did it. <laughs> you know what? We've been going four for four with guests on this, Superman. so we appreciate it. Yep. <laughs> Superman. All right. <laughs> Superman. Hey, everyone. Thanks for watching our show today. We just wanted to take some time to give a special shout out to our collaborator, Cat and Raven Design. They are a small queer owned business that specializes in LGBTQ plus pride soaps. They have great designs, some that even look good to eat, but don't. You can get 10% off your entire order if you use the code DSP or go to our link tree. Help support this great small business and help give back to a great community. Oh, she got a crush on you. <laughs> you all right? Huh? You walk all the way here? All right. First things first, you can't sit at my table like that. You can't sit with your back to the door. Come on. And you're going to know somebody creeping up on you. All right, see that? Now you can see everything. I saw your mom last night. I hate her. Hmm. Yeah, I bet you do. I hated my mom, too. I miss her like hell now, though. That's all I'm gonna say about that. What's a faggot? 
faggot is something. A word used to make gay people feel bad. Am I a faggot? No. No. You could be gay, but you gotta let nobody call you no faggot. I mean, unless. Do you sell drugs? Yeah. It's my mom. She do drugs, right? thought about talking about it with somebody. I mean, maybe not even a counselor, maybe somebody like your mama. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds funny to me too. You talked to Teresa? Yeah. How's she doing? Good. This is home. You know, I, I mean, they allow me to stay and work as long as I like. I figure might as well help other folks get myself out of trouble. That's good, Mama. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is too. I really do. So you're still in them streets? You come all the way to hell to Georgia to have you falling in the I'm same go. shit, Chiron. Go. No, 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 no. You go. gonna listen. Go. To who, Ma? Huh? To you? Really, though? Please. Please. 
I messed up. I mean, I fucked it all the way up. I know that. But your heart ain't gotta be black like mine, baby. I love you, Sharon. I do. I love you, baby. I mean, you ain't gotta love me. Lord knows I did not have love for you when you needed it. I know that. So you ain't gotta love me. But you gonna know that I love you. You hear? You hear me, Sharon? I hate you, Mama. I'm sorry, babe. I'm so sorry. you, man. Who, me? Yeah, nigga, you. Same man in front. That car. Who is you, Sharon? I'm me, man. I ain't trying to be nothing else. Oh, okay, so you, you hard now. I ain't say that. Well, then what? trying to hem you up, man. It's just, I ain't seen you in a minute, and it's not what I expected. Well, what did you expect? Who remember, uh, remember the last time I saw you? Time, try not to remember. Try to forget all those times. Yeah. When we got to Atlanta, I started over. Built myself from the ground up. Built myself hard.
What about you? You, me? I wasn't never really worth shit. Just kept on, man. Never really did anything I actually wanted to do. Was all I could do to do it, folks. Thought I should be doing. I wasn't never really myself. And now, 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 man. Now I got a little care. Got this job. Another eighteen months probation. That's some real shit, bro. Oh, man, it's a life. You know? I ain't never had that before. Like, like I'm tired as hell right now, man. And I, ain't, I ain't making no more than shoe money, but I ain't got no worries, man. Not them kind what I had before. That's that real shit. That's that Bob Marley shit, nigga. ever touched me. Hey everyone, before we get into the show, please check out our collaborator, Bubs Naturals. They sell a variety of health and wellness products, including collagen peptides, MCT oil powder, coffee, apple cider vinegar gummies, and other amazing products. Go to bubsnaturals.com and use our code DSP20 to get 20% off your entire order. And with that, let's get into the show. 
And we back again. We're back. We're live. Just as live is our new official brand instead of A24 for Z37. <laughs> All the way down. All the way down. Z37. Yeah, the production's so high, you can't even tell that we are doing this through high. Zoom. Yep. We're just... We're in so person right now. Father's camcorder from 1957. Yep. We uploaded this through VHS, which I don't even know how that's possible. I really don't. I don't know how you do that, but they do it. So we're live. All right. So like I said before, um we have a new guest on the show. Um Jarrell, please could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to know this podcast? Yeah. Um, so I guess I'll start with me because that's what's yeah. most important. Oh. Um, <laughs> uh, so my name is Jarrell. Uh, I'm a therapist and author based in New York City. Uh, a couple of years ago, I co-founded a company called Viva with my friend and business partner. Uh, we've been open for five years. So we oh. started in New York, but have branched out. And you know, the world of telehealth has helped us create a team in states across the country, which is very cool. And uh, both the practice, Viva and myself, you know, the, the focus for us is to have like socially justice-minded therapy and mental okay. health services. So, you know, being able to work with folks who live at, you know, intersections that maybe aren't always represented or treated well uh, in therapy or have limited access. And so for me in particular, working with black folks, working with uh, brown folks and folks who are queer and trans people of color, sort of like my bread and butter population wise mm -hmm. and uh, working a lot with like mood stuff. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I've been in New York city since 2008 when I came for graduate school and previously mm -hmm. lived in the middle of nowhere in North Carolina. So I'm a small town boy. Um, mostly, as my mother likes to recall, came to New York because of Home Alone 2. And I cannot deny the rumor. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Was it the cheese pizza in the back of the limo? That was my, I mean, maybe. That was my calling. I was like, ah, cheese pizza <laughs> in the back of the limo. This is the height of luxury. Right. Also, though, I remember FAO Schwartz. Oh, yeah. Which yep. I never got to go to physically. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was, you know, it was this huge toy store. You never yeah. got to get the turtle doves. No, turtle never doves. turtles. But also, the bird lady scared the bejesus out of me. I, so. That's, you know what? I was saying that same thing. Nas said she was like, oh, she's so sweet and kind. I'm like, no, no she's, she's got something she's going on with her. Yeah. yeah. She lives you don't on the take park. a child up to like an attic the first time you meet them. Just right. saying. Right. Just saying. The amount we've talked about her on this podcast is astronomical. I love it. I love it. I yeah. bet she gets so much shit. Not pigeon shit, but just regular <laughs> shit. She gets a lot of that. <laughs> Human shit, yes. Uh, <laughs> damn, again? I, I knew I shouldn't have started living with these pigeons. <laughs> I wouldn't know how much <laughs> shit. Also, yeah, like, can you imagine? Oh, yeah. Can you? God. I never thought about that, but can you imagine? No, no. I don't. I try not to. I'm surprised her outfit wasn't just white. Thank yeah. you. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Back, <laughs> back to this. Um, so what kind of got you into the mental health field yourself? Mm, good question. 
if if I were talking about it from like an academic sense, I would say when I was in high school, I took a college level psych course. And it wasn't just that it was psychology, but also I had the weirdest teacher. Okay. Uh, Miss Romick, if you're still out there and well, hello. Um, but she was so weird and like had this distinct personality and she was doing something that was helping people. And I was like, okay, this is where I converge, where I can sort of like be myself and do some good in the world. And I think make use of my natural, like things I had going on naturally. And so Mm -hmm. to take it, you know, out of the academic realm, like I, I see myself as a highly sensitive person. So we talk about spectrums and, and things like that as well. I was always very sensitive, um, as a kid. And so as a, you know, black brown boy mm-hmm. bible belt very strict not very strict in terms of like enforced but mm-hmm. you know very prescriptive ideas of masculinity um around you know emotional availability and here i was from a very young age feeling a lot being very touched by things mm-hmm. moved by deeply by like music and art and things even as a young person and so really psychology helped me make sense of both what I was feeling and doing and interacting with the world. And then I realized it could, I could apply that to help other people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what would you say? So you have a book coming out November 7th. Yes. Um, how have you kind of, have you taken like, literary courses before have you so you have written a book before how was that kind of experience doing that at first when you haven't really written a book before uh terrifying (laughs) uh to be honest uh the the opportunity presented itself because the the publisher had seen something i'd contributed to before written before Mm. and they're like hey let's have a conversation about some things um which was is pretty atypical for authors these days, but so I was very fortunate in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it was a very scary experience. Uh, I'm not a naturally like very outgoing person. I'm pretty reserved and introverted. So the idea of doing something that sort of like exposed me to a greater amount of people was very scary, but also aligned with me like purpose-wise, you know, having conversations about mental health, uh, about wellness, especially from a person who looks and sounds like me, has always been really important to me. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so this very first one was very scary. Second one coming up, you know, coming out November seventh. Self care for Black men, a little mm-hmm. less scary, but scarier in some new ways as it's oh, got a little bit more traction right now. I'm this is a second book, right? And so there's a little more interest and in things going on there, and so you know, more talks and events and all that sort of stuff. And so it's really interesting just to be at this phase where, you know, we'll see how it all pans out. Okay. And do you kind of see your writing as therapeutic in any way, especially kind of about like your topics that you're talking about? Um, Do you kind of use it as a kind of therapy session for yourself? And do you kind of uh, recommend writing to your clients whenever, you know, you kind of see them? Yeah, I, I think for me, um, I think in some bits it's therapeutic for me. Okay. In large part, uh, at least so far in my writing career, yeah. <laughs> my my goal is to 
um, right directly to a person who probably needs to hear certain things and who yeah. wants guidance and support. And, and so I, I really try to sort of show up in a very authentic way to me mm-hmm. and, you know, trying to be both like obviously cognitive, but also like heart based. I'm, I'm a mushy person actually. So if there are like mushy things or deep things that I think are important to say, writing is that place where I can really channel all of that. So hopefully it is therapeutic for people as they learn more about themselves. And hopefully my goal is to have a lot more self-compassion for themselves. Okay. And how many books uh, do you think you're going to be writing in the future? Uh, or do you I want to write in the future let's go with that one how many do you want to <laughs> I, I i don't know ask me in like six months uh <laughs> after after this this guy has been out um yeah. yeah i'm not sure it's uh it's really interesting because i'm discovering myself as a writer in this whole process too because yeah. i haven't had a lot of opportunity to especially a long form something so now mm. that this is a thing that's happening I am sort of questioning, like, how much of this do I want moving yeah. forward? Like, what totally. makes sense for me? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, so I have to get to this question now. So most of our audience would be, we'd probably say are on the on the nerdy side, a little bit of nerds. All right? Appreciate nerds. Yes. And we love them too. Hey, all <laughs> of you out there, we love you. Um, so, you know, there's your name kind of pops up on the nerd files just a little bit just a little bit so how did how did your parents kind of come up with the name Jarrell and what made them want to pick the father of superman to be their son yeah i i don't know um i i really don't i don't have like a good story for this all i do know all I do know is that my dad obviously is a big Superman fan. He is, yeah. he, I think he's from Puerto Rico. And so okay. I think that like Superman was probably a really iconic character for him growing up. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah, so I always say, you know, he, he's a big fan and my mother was a very understanding woman. Um, <laughs> and it's just so interesting because there are so many variations of yeah. my name yeah and it's it's funny because uh, you know especially i think for black folks in particular mm-hmm. they no one knew like the superman reference growing up because like they had yeah. jarrells of different varieties yeah and i'm like no, no no i'm the real one this is this is where it comes from you should know this one yeah. um but yeah always had problems with you know scantrons taking tests god those things were yep. a disaster for my name oh yeah um they're like still in computer systems still now it's like nope you can't have the hyphen you have to do something else uh so yeah it's uh i love it and it's always fun when someone recognizes especially when i'm like getting carded somewhere which happens less now um or you know picking up takeout or something and someone sees my card they're like i get like a double take yeah yeah, yeah. like like i had a delivery guy come by the other day he's like so um I just want to ask. I was like, yes, yes, that's that's where it's from. Yes. But by, by right. the way, I I dropped your pizza, but your name too. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's no longer good, but your name is very cool. Yeah. yeah. He's just like, I dropped it like it's destroyed, just like Krypton. <laughs> Trauma. Yes. Uh, um, uh, get his name.
I can see that the name stuff can be traumatic, especially since it can mess up on you all the time. I'd, I'd tell your mom, think, thanks for the trauma. Every time I feel something out, you <laughs> No, like school was something else. Yeah. 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 All the forms. Yeah. I believe it. All right. Well, thank you for being on and, you know, can't wait to get your insights on Moonlight. Sure. Um, so with that, let's get right into it. So let's get in it. Yes. So Moonlight, it is a story about a young man called Sharon and uh, follows him through three periods of his life. Um, one when he's just like a little kid, like 10 years old. Um, then another when he's a teenager and then one when he's a full grown man as black. And so, um, we're following him and his life and he is a young gay man, um, who's living in, uh, Florida and in more of an impoverished, uh, area. Right. And so, um, he's going through not only having his mom being a drug addict, but also, you know, trying to not be, he can't really be himself or else, you know, threats from everywhere around him get to him. Right. And so, um, we're following him in his life and we're kind of seeing how he's navigating through, um, being gay, but then also, um, you know, having trouble at home as well. So, um, one of his, um, I would say one of the people that try to help raise him or just kind of guide him through life is Juan, uh, played by Mahershala Ali and, um, great actor, as we all know, fantastic. Um, and he, he really gives that kind of, guide slash caretaker role um very well um and i kind of want to know um from you jerelle first is um do you kind of see maybe a, a similarity between being like a therapist and what juan's role is at the moment in the movie good question um i think I don't know if I would say I necessarily see that similarity for therapist for therapists in general. I would definitely say like for me, okay. um, being able because one of the things I appreciate about Juan is um, the there's a level of tenderness and attentiveness that he shows to Chiron. I always want to call him Chiron because I'm a little bit of an astro person, right? Um, but yeah, like that. I think that warmth, right, and the space that he creates for Sharon right. is, I think, something I try and bring to the people that I work with, and mm -hmm. that that feels very much aligned for me. And I think just maybe more broadly, therapists try and create that space for people. Um, but I think it's just so important to be able to see not only like a, a masculine representation of that, but also like a dark skin representation of that because that's not something we often see in sort of like mainstream culture yeah totally want to piggyback on that um we don't see folks that look like him express articulate that like mentor in movies that show love and compassion that are not abusive um that is able to emotionally regulate when the mother confronts him out on the street, right? And I get it, yeah, he's right, he's trapping and he's doing his thing. 
but there's also a certain standard on how he likes to treat people that obviously that are working for him, but specifically this young boy, this young child. And the way that he talks to him and coaches him and nurtures him. And then he talks about a little bit of his own life too, right? You can see that he's doing this for certain reasons. Uh, and as we get into it, you'll see that the deep shame that he has about his story. And I think a lot of us therapists have shame about our own shit. And we try our best to nurture and to open and mentor individuals in therapy, especially us of color, help out others of color. It becomes a therapist role, mentorshipy role. Sometimes they put us in the quirky uncle role, like many different roles we get put in. Uh, and the privilege and honor it is to be in front of those individuals and hear the stories is immense. It's as if you were working with a young child and you're building them back up. Even though they could be grown-ass adults, uh, you're still nurturing the child in them that was hurt or that's lost, that's staring off into the moonlight. Um, I definitely see where it's one and the same. As my mentor told me in graduate school, she said, this is what you will represent. These are the people that you will help. You are now a leader and a mentor to people of color, and they will heal just from seeing you in your position. They won't even be your clients. And lo and behold, she was right. And I told her I didn't want that responsibility. It's not why I'm doing this. And she said, it doesn't fucking matter what you want. This is what's going to happen. She said, you need to act better. You need to write better. You need to talk better. You need to dress better. She said, you are failing. It's like, okay. So she says, you got a choice. And then that was it. I left her office crying. And then, you know, I figured it out. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I have a choice. So it's a privilege to be at this level because we help so many just yeah. by existing. We ain't even got to say shit, me and Jarrell. We ain't even got to say nothing. Hmm. We'll get into that when we talk on the next podcast about a funeral. Yeah. And people healing just from seeing me. But yeah, good question, Spence. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm going to get into like one of the scenes that we kind of watched um, with Juan and Sharon um, about when they're on the beach. Right. And um, Juan is talking about being in Cuba and how, you know, when they were little, the they would catch the moonlight um, when they were just kind of wilding out um, at night. And so he talks about uh, deciding who you want to be. Right. And not letting um, the people around you kind of decide that for you. Um, do you think that. Um, and how do you think that um, kind of our our environment kind of surrounds us and how does that make turn us into who we are today? Um, it's a it's it. There's a lot of answers to this question, totally. but please go for whatever you want to go for. Yeah, um, I, I think one of the things I appreciate about this story and the one one and the Kevin character a little bit, too. Mm. Um, it's just like the Afro-Latino representation, yeah. right? Which, which is my experience. Um, but mm -hmm. I did not grow up in Florida. Um, right. I grew up in the middle of nowhere in North Carolina where I, like there was one Mexican family who moved to my town in middle school and it was like revelatory. So, right. <laughs> you right. know, so thinking about being like biracial in some aspects, sort of multicultural mm -hmm. and, and that being and how you see yourself being almost dictated by your environment yeah um is i think one of this uh, one of the sort of underlining themes of this story and i really appreciate like this conversation because i think it 
offers Chiron the possibility of creation, right? Mm -hmm. He's really trying to create space. Juan is trying to create space for him to say, yes, you are where you are. You are who you are, but there might be more for you. You can build yourself. There's, there, there is space to create who you want to be. Um, and I think it's just a really powerful message for us. I mean, any young person, but particularly, you know, this character to have that permission. Yeah, correct. I guess I have no other choice than to speak about the funeral then. So I'm, I'm hanging around these folks at this funeral I just went to back in the hometown. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, some people come up to me and try and be withhold a lot of stuff. Um, but some, some people come up to me and, hey, man, I want you to talk to my kids, man. And, you know, they're getting ready to go to college. I think you'd be a good influence. Could you coach them, talk to them, whatever? I said, yeah, man, I got you. And, and then they start going into all the shame about, you know, fucking up in life and not getting educated and dropping out and then slanging and banging and, and selling drugs, you know, violence, imprisonment. And they're like, hey, man, I ain't got nothing to offer this kid. But I want you to talk to them. I'm like, yeah, man, it's easy. Don't worry about it. He's like, no, nah, man, you don't understand. Like, I appreciate this. And it's coming from you. Right? Someone that knows about some of this shit and you've seen it. And I said, I got you, man. Chill. And he said, you don't understand, man. I said, I do understand. I said, my father told me when I got that doctorate and we went back to the tombstone of my father, my namesake, grandfather. He said, I got no more shame. I feel good. I can, like, live life and... Hold my head up and you know when people come talk to me i don't have to put my head down like oh i fucked up in life pops can walk around like yeah fuck you my son's good i'm good so i was telling right one of the younger guys like 40 i said don't worry about it man your girls get these education these degrees which they about to get they about to get you go hold your head up doesn't matter what your past was as long as you're doing okay now and these girls are going to be successful so you messed up but they're supposed to do better than you, which they are. You did pretty good. You did okay. Mm -hmm. I get it. You fucked up. I get it. So why do I spring this up? Because Ali obviously is like, hey, you've got choices and you can decide who you want to be. You don't have to become like me, even though he does. You know, I mean, you can be more. You can be more than what this environment makes you. You have this opportunity. You know, you don't talk about that. I think maybe as more affluent people, it's just like kind of written in the thing where when you come from our settings, we, we want you to be better than us. Yeah. We don't want you to be in our situation. We want you to get these shiny degrees, educated, healthy. You want you to go live in the suburbs. And so I feel like he's also preaching to him at a young age. Try not to, you know, become a monster. Mm -hmm. You know, try to become more than what I am, but still have that really good heart that you have. Because the kid, Chiron, is one of the sweetest humans you'll ever see. Yeah. As Kevin says later in the show, this isn't who you are. Yeah. This isn't the man that I thought that I knew. Your environment dictates a lot, Spencer. Yeah. Uh, as people tell me, you know, people of color or poor people, you know, you just figure it out. And sometimes I just wish I could just take them back to these environments and say, here. Restart the clock. You sit here. I sit in your shoes. Let's see if you make it out. Because mm -hmm. people will be like, Nas, do you think you could make it? If you were to restart things or do things different, one kid said, can I make it in your shoes? I said, kid, I don't think I'd make it in my shoes again. I don't know how the hell you'd make it. No disrespect. Mm -hmm. But I soon would rather die. I would rather die than go back. People are like, would you like to restart your life? And, and then you get to make all your choices again or make $10 million. I'm like, give me the $10 million right now because I'm not going back to that shit. 
Yeah. I'm not going back to trauma and loneliness and education and violence. I'm not going back to that. But yeah. Which, yeah, so be it. You think you can make it. The environments are very hard for a lot of us, yeah. especially if you're a softer, more sensitive young man. Because mm-hmm. masculinity and dominance is a currency. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's how we live. And so that's why how I lived in a lot of different things. And, you know, uh, it's a horrific place to live as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, mentally, not not in the thing. Uh, go ahead, Spence. What were you going to say? I mean, I just thought that, you know, people that kind of ask you that question kind of lived uh, a nice life kind of asking that, right? Would you would you want to go back to all the, the trauma and terrible things that you went through? and redo it it's like why would you want to go back to like a nightmare would you want to go back to that would you want to revisit no of course not because you know obviously that's a terrible time and you and that's why you want to get out of that situation is to not go back for the most part um but in rather instead of now you don't have to go back but you can give back and i think that's something that um people can really kind of get back and then now you can give that knowledge kind of like um like juan does for uh, you know for sharon um you know kind of giving that knowledge and being like hey i did these things because i had to now you don't have to right but and like you said at the end of the day he does but you know he might have done it for different reasons, obviously, than what yeah. Juan was really doing it for. So, if, if his Juan and his adopted father was still there, I don't think he'd like he would life would have been much better. Yeah, um, I think so too. Yeah, yeah. he yeah, probably yeah. wouldn't let him do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, he probably would have let him do a lot of stuff. He probably would have soothed him and talked to him, and he still had his mm-hmm. mom there. It, it, it wouldn't have happened. Or Juan would have went up in there and handled them boys. Oh, yeah, he most definitely would have handled them. Yeah, he would have handled them, boys, and they wouldn't have touched no one. Mm-hmm. So things would have been different, but, you know, everyone says God has a plan. Mm-hmm. I don't really like that thing. Uh, but, you know, a lot of bad shit happens, you know. A lot of I life know. is very unfair. As I told the client the other day, as I looked at her, I said, life sucks. She said, I agree. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want you to miss out on this thing that you were supposed to do this weekend because then you would take the joy away from yourself. Don't do that. Go to this thing that you said you were going to do. You'll handle the, the issues with your family. But don't 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 cower out on this just to have things easier. Go have fun. Life is already too hard to not go have fun. Do what you need to do. She says, okay. So hopefully she does that. But yeah, it's tough. These situations are tough. Life is tough. Bad shit happens. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that shit happens. And then, yeah, you have to. I always kind of frame it as like, and then what? And now what? True. Right? Now this horrible thing has happened, or like these circumstances have changed, and now what? Right, Where it's do we not go? over. You're not done. What now? And True. yeah, I think just giving people that nudge, it's like there's still something for you here. You know, there's still something to gain from this going to the thing this weekend, or um you know engaging with this person maybe there's still something for you even if it doesn't quite feel right in the moment or feel good maybe it feels hard okay but Jarell, you don't understand i'm I'm damaged i'm broken that's what they'll tell you life will always be this bad and that's when i usually make the reference you know even in the desert flowers grow even with no Mm -hmm. nutrients and nothing somehow i said google it google it 
Flower in the Desert. You'll see some of the coolest stuff. You, you, those of us listening, Google Flower in the Desert. Student showed me that once, and I've used that metaphor and reference a lot uh, over the years to talk about trauma, childhood trauma. Mm. You can still become this beautiful thing. I'm stealing pause. it. Pause real quick. <laughs> so, you know, I tried to turn the tables on one of these, and I fucked up the metaphor. And I said, you know, with bananas, <laughs> you know, and they get a little rotten, you know, you make banana pie. She said, what the hell is banana pie? I said banana pudding with the wafers and shit. You said banana, banana pie. pie. <laughs> you ain't never had banana pie. You ain't never had a banana pie. So stupid. She that's, said, that's she's like full blown crying. And she's like, what right. the fuck is banana pie? Like, what are you saying, bro? You know, all the stuff with the, it's got put white pudding in it, I have vanilla pudding, and there's the wafers <laughs> You're in it. You're such an idiot. Bananas. But also banana bread. Are banana I don't know. Mm-hmm. I should have said apple pie. Anything else stuck to apple pie. Banana, <laughs> Pretty much. Apple pie like, would have been fine. <laughs> Anything, you know, bruised fruit are still enjoyable and nutritious. And sweet. Very sweet. Doesn't sound as good once you say it like that. I'm going to be right. honest with you. Like, <laughs> Whatever. I like bruised a good fruit. fruit. Still delicious. <laughs> I, love, value. I love some bruised, some old it spoiled fruit. It's nutritional value. It's so. real sweet. Okay. Real sweet. Whatever you say, man. All right. <laughs> Let's get to the next scene, man. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Food item one. Uh, so do you want to kind of still uh, talk about Juan or do you think like we've kind of touched everything or do you want to go into the mom scene? Uh, no, I want to talk about the scene at the kitchen table. Okay. Okay. So, um, so after a night of, like I said before, um, uh, little Sharon's um, mom, she's a drug act and <clears throat> they, so his mom um, really starts arguing with him, little little kid, um, and and then he goes over to Juan's house, um, and so right now I would say Juan and uh, Teresa, who is uh, Juan's girlfriend, um, they I would say that their house is kind of like his safe haven, um, where he can just go and not have to worry about you know his mom um acting out or anything like that um yelling at him or wanting to kick him out the house or anything like that um and so he gets to the house and then he's sitting at a table and he asks uh what the f word is so um we're speaking about the f word uh the derogatory term for gay people right and so um juan he really he explains what the word is but he does it in such a delicate way um and it it really kind of shows that he uh is not only showing in a delicate way but he's also being very um open about who he is right so um Sharon asks if he's a drug dealer and of course juan says yes um, even though in that moment he could have definitely lied, but I think he knows that Sharon's very is smarter, um, yeah. you know, than that. And so he can't really lie about that to him. Um, and then um and then of course Sharon asks uh if his mom's uh using drugs, and then he says yes. Um I I really like that part of the scene, um, just because um it's really the hard truth. Uh, what's kind of going around, especially in their neighborhood, um, you know, uh, people giving out drugs to mothers, fathers, sons, all that type of stuff. And um, now uh, Juan is really kind of seeing the after effects of what he's doing. Um, 
and seeing that Sharon's mom is the product of, you know, the environment or just overall, you know, the thing that he has to do to try and survive that neighborhood. Um, very great scene. And then also I like the part where um, Juan kind of tells him like, Hey, you sit here because then you can see everything and nobody can really do that. And then once you see, uh, once he's older, he does the same thing when they're in the restaurant, he doesn't have his back to the door. He has his back to the back so he can see everything still. Yep. So he still kind of has that mindset no matter what, um, even though he might be in, in a more of a safe space than, you know, where he was before. Um, so still kind of going off, like, what do you, what do you think about this scene overall? Um, do you think it's like more like, do you, especially when you have like different clients and things like that, do you think that this is like a realistic scene kind of having that, that person there to kind of walk them through things, even though they might not know what it is or like, they're just, you know, kind of new to the world and they're still, still want to ask questions and you really have to be honest, even though it's a hard, hard truth that you have to tell them. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I, I think what I really appreciate about this scene, um, like you said, is just sort of like the bare bones, like education of it, where, yeah. you know, Sharon asks, like, what is this thing? What does this mean? Mm-hmm. And Juan is just honest. He's like forthcoming, but also matter of fact about it. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just like, yeah, this is what this, what this thing is. Um, and what I really appreciate about this scene is I think especially for I mean, one's a boy and one's a man, but we're talking there. We're talking about shame, right? Like Sharon comes to the table feeling shame about this thing that he's been called all his life, right? right? He knows that there's something there, which is why he asks. Mm-hmm. Maybe he doesn't know what shame is, or he can't really name it, mm-hmm. right? And then Juan provides this sort of like context for him to engage with it, and then the tables turn. Mm. Right. Then Chiron is like, oh, also, I think I know this thing about you. Is this true? And then you see Juan shame rise to the surface. Yeah. And I just think about like how powerful that is to have like the representation of two black males having that moment. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's I think sometimes that even in the therapy space, you know, there are things that like clients may bring up that are through lines in my own life. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I, I know this shame, right? I've been to that place. And let me bring you the context or let me hold this space for you in a very matter of fact, educational way and help you figure out what you do with this. Mm-hmm. Um, there, yeah, like this scene has so many levels. I and mean, then you have like the, you know, bystander of uh, Teresa, who's mm-hmm. kind of in the mix, but is like yeah. very quiet in the scene. Um, yeah. but it's obviously a supporting force for both of them. Mm-hmm. I just think it's like a brilliant point of the movie for sure. Totally. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's, I'm a focus on his shame. Uh, again, mm-hmm. we just talked about, you know, me going to the funeral and stuff like that. And yet to realize that you are a flawed individual is difficult for a lot of people to hold themselves accountable for that without like shaming themselves and making themselves feel worthless. Sometimes we'll see others that are doing well. And since we're so shameful about ourselves, someone doing well makes us hurt and angry and lash out. 
sometimes when you do something wrong in life, right, or you get a bad grade and then someone tells you that you did bad, you're, you're even more angry. I already know I did bad. I don't need you to tell me. And so yeah. one of those moments, he was honest and open with his, you know, this young man that he's raising. And it's, it's the shame knowing that this boy loves you. This boy sees you as a God. This boy sees you as a savior, as someone that's protected me. And yet, you're possibly destroying my mother. And so how can you be doing both? How can you be loving me and destroying me at the same time? And then he has to sit there with that shame, knowing that he is hurting his mother and most likely hurting many others in the community. Mm-hmm. So the shame is, you know, him having this big heart and love and wanting to do good by his family and the boy, then also knowing that you're destroying other lives. So it's, it's multifaceted what he's feeling. You know, good people do fucked up things. Yeah. Uh, sometimes life or the circumstances almost kind of determines on what you're going to do, what your next moves are, what cards you're dealt. You know, I don't necessarily always play by the rules. Uh, and I tell my clients, you know, as my father said, you get this deck of cards, you play the cards. You know, me, I'm like, yeah, you get the deck of cards, you play the cards, and then also we cheat and we, we pull the other card from out of our sleeve because uh, mm-hmm. everyone else is. And I'm not I'm Mr. Nice Guy. I'm. How do we win? Mm-hmm. As some folks won't like this, but as, as Malcolm X said, by any means necessary, because mm-hmm. we already got our hands tied behind our backs, you know. So we need to figure out ways to make sure we get to the place. So the shame in that scene is wonderful to see, to see multifaceted characters express that with each other and seeing how much he loves that young man. And the, the fact that he loves the young man that much is why he hurts. Okay. Pause. So the next part is the way he handles the boy uh, is the way students, you know, as everyone knows, I work with students at university and Gerard, you're going to notice with clients, they come to you with this. This is what people think I am, or this is what I think that other people think that I am. I'm terrible. I'm a monster. I'm worthless. I'm too ugly. I'm too fat. I'm too dark. Uh, You know, I'm too poor. I don't have the right clothes. I can't read that well. You know, a lot of us, this is an autism podcast, and a lot of folks are neurodivergent here, but we also talk about other things because it's all part of it. And everyone knows what it feels like to be othered. Then you're black and you're queer and the kid's getting bullied and picked on, and as Spencer said, they're running after him in the first scene. and It's a lot. Mm -hmm. It's a lot. And so he's telling the boy it's okay to be this other thing that's not normal for young black men. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Afro Latino is is is, is we're being Latina, so Hispanic, Mexican, Colombian, Dominican, Puerto Rican, wherever it is. Then also having that black uh, culture or the black ethnicity with you, or being darker skinned, right? Having more uh, what's the parallels with black folk, African American folk, Caribbean yeah. folk. You just happen to have this uh, what we call colonialism thing where you were conquered by all these Latin countries. Uh, but that's a different story for a different day. Uh, conquistadors, different day. So that that's why you know, Latin A, uh, that's why there's so many of us and so many different variations. And so white and black and red is. And then you just... <laughs> Thank you for conquering everything. That was sarcasm. Uh, for him to teach the boy, you know, you might be this one thing, but you're not the other. That's the, there's very few words I don't like saying. 
and the F word, uh, that one, I don't like saying, you know, a lot of us in our culture, right, like saying the M word as well, and it's fine, but there's a certain way that folks will say it where it has the horrific racist connotations. A lot of folks ain't cool with that. Uh, you know, some folks say omitting certain words only gives it more power. Uh, yes, no, I still ain't saying that shit. Uh, the fact that this really masculine dude, he's like, hey, man, it's okay for this. You'll figure it out. Can you imagine, Jarrell, if we actually had that in our lives and growing up more more? Maybe you did have it. But having that from other places, though, it's just a full-on acceptance and validation. Like, there's no judgment. It's like it is what it is. Right. That's not a thing. Hey, everyone. I wanted to give a special shout-out to our collaborator, Two Nerds Candle Company. Not only do they have great products, but they are also giving back to a great cause. You can tell that they take a lot of pride in making their candles. My favorite is Spock's Monday Coffee. They are also donating 10% annually to support Women in STEM, which stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Mathematics. You can use our code DSP or go to our link tree to get 20% off your entire order. We think that this company is great, and we think you will too. So go check them out. Hey, are you a nerd? Do you like pins? If you're like any of our followers and you said yes, you should check out our collaboration with Pinfinity. They have Power Rangers pins, Transformers pins, and for all of our bronies out there, My Little Pony pins. Go check out our link tree or use our code DSP to get 20% off your Pinfinity order today. Yeah, and I think that for me, seeing like when this movie came out, I think that that was probably one of the most impactful parts of it, hmm. right? Is just having the character of Juan be who he was, right? Because, right. and it's weird because it also, the only way that it worked, I think, for people to receive it was that he also could not be soft. Right. Yes. He couldn't be seen as soft in order for people to receive his like tenderness towards yeah. Chiron. And so that's kind of messed up, right? In that way, in the in the culture, but it also still is this example of like, oh, so you have this dude who's dark skinned, who's selling drugs, who's seen as this street guy, right? But then he also he finds because also he found Chiron in like the initial scenes, which makes me think: did was he watching the whole thing? Did he see him go hide? How did he find him? Um, <laughs> And, and so that, I just thought that was really interesting, but like he sought him out and he really cared for him. And I think having that model for people, even if you're the street guy, even if you're selling drugs, even if you're this, like that you can also be this person who cares for people deeply and show up for them. I think it's just a really powerful example. You only do the things that he did if you have a ton of love in you. And I would assume that some other man or woman did that when he was growing up in the uh, back in cuba as well um the water and the teaching and the mentoring that was, you only do yeah. that if someone showed you this is what men good men do totally. so this is what i was shown by my father and this is what i now show my students it's the same shit and they were like nah you got that good you got an education this and that i said all the shit that i'm learning is, is from a, a convict with a ninth grade education I just happen to have a few degrees, but all the shit love is through pops. And you're mm -hmm. like, oh, you know, I can't tell everyone that, but some of my students that think, you know, you got to get a degree, but yeah, I get the degree, get that out of the way. As a young uh, Mexican girl told me the other day, sat in my office, 
as she walks out. She's already three foot four off the foot out the door, not even looking at me. She said, I like your vibe. And walks, continues to walk. <laughs> she said, yeah, that felt good. Yeah, that felt good. Yeah, that felt good. Uh, yeah, good, good, good scene. And for him to also have a wonderful, strong, intelligent, loving uh, black woman at his side as well. And then mm-hmm. him being willing to accept what to say and what not to say, and right to be educated, like, oh, don't, don't go, don't go here. Mm-hmm. And how he teases Sharon, she's in love with you, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's just, I see myself in, uh, in Juan. Mm-hmm. Teasing and also yet kind. As we just talked about Spence, and then we get to the next scene mm-hmm. with the Ahsoka series, with the, right, that we talked about the robot being like the therapist, but like, no yeah. divergent of shit and being kind of direct yeah. and mean. Um, he has the ability to tease and to vibe into different spaces and then also come back into love. Mm-hmm. His masculinity provides the fit space to do that as mine being like, you know, six, two, six, three, 340 pounds. You know, everyone's like terrified and I can show them the love. And I never lose respect when I show you the softness of love. That's why I enjoy being big. That's why it's also probably hard for me to even want to lose weight. Cause then I know I would lose some privilege. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I, I'd rather be a little bit scarier because it allows me to operate differently in therapy and other spaces. And so I thought about that a long time ago. I put that together. I'm like, if I lose weight, oh, hell no. I'm staying big. <laughs> yep. I'm staying big. You're like, nope, I don't need this. I don't <laughs> no. need this stomach drug to get me yeah, smaller. No, I'm I don't need that. I'm a, I'm, uh, let's chat about this next scene about, about moms. This is a fuck up scene. Yes. No, um, so this is the kind of the third act um, of the movie, yep. and so Sharon, um, we see him in his teenage years, and he's getting bullied um, very badly um, to the point where it's just it's anxiety riddled, right? And so can't even go anywhere. And then um, one day he gets beat up um by his friend kevin um who it was instigated by um another guy named terrell um and so um we see him uh we see chiron then um take action and actually hit um terrell with a chair knocks him out um and then he gets arrested and then he goes to prison um which is just so fucked up because it's like he just got beat up by like three people whole um, school watched yeah whole school watched nothing happens and they're like well you're gonna take which means terrell snitched or something because he pressed charges terrell he probably pressed, pressed charges because you didn't have to press charges but he must no have. Mm-hmm. no so he must have so way to go terrell way to go big dog yeah the yeah. worst they're the worst. worst um but then he goes to prison, and then that's when the uh, third act starts, and we see that Sharon is now uh, trapping, just like uh, Juan, and uh, he's a lot more muscular. Let me tell you, good looking, muscular. I like yeah. that. See, he's a little, just like whoa, okay, little skinny different. kid. <laughs> Teenage years. Uh, now he's uh, he's taking the juice, um, so, or we like to call supplements. Hey, pause real quick. He was the yeah. actor in the Mike Tyson Hulu film that we watched oh, for the podcast. I Same guy. I didn't know Except that. for he had an even more muscle for that movie. He was Jeez. He was yeah. bigger. Jesus. Yeah, no. So this movie he was like skinny. In in Moonlight, he's oh. skinny compared to the Hulu Mike Tyson film. 
good for him jeez yeah. i try to lift weights and just lose muscle i was like I'm like yeah you're, that's supposed to happen i'm like no 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 <laughs> It's, it's like it's the cartoons the where it goes down and says yeah. down. Like Popeye without the spinach. <laughs> Big forearms for some reason. I don't get it. Um, but um, and so now uh we see that uh Sharon's mom, she is uh rehabilitating um currently, and we see that she's finally kind of taking uh responsibility and accountability. Uh, for her actions and saying how that she never really got to love Chiron all that he needed to be loved. Um, and that now that's, you know, and that's really playing a part into like what he's doing now, trapping and doing the same stuff, kind of reliving that cycle um, of having that environment. And so um, now we see that, um we see not only uh, Sharon's mom crying, uh, Paula, she's crying, but then also Sharon's crying as well because he's finally having that that moment, right? Um, instead of just being, you know, hard all the time, he's actually starting to soften up just a little bit, just a little bit, and so, and that will play a role into the last scene that we watch. Uh, but for right now, um, three not obviously not kind of getting into anything specific but how crucial of a role does a mom and a father have um kind of growing growing a child up especially in the environment that Chiron is living in things like that um, where you have all this negativity around right and you think that you'd go home and you'd have some positivity there but there's negativity there too and so when she says she's kind of surprised by like he's trapping too i was like are you though because there's a lot of negativity going on everywhere um wh like was he like how else is he supposed to navigate this world you know but my question is is just how important are these family kind of dynamics when we talk about you know kind of clients that you see or just in general for your life yeah i i mean <laughs> It's a, it's a very cliche thing to say, but I, I think the influence of parents or primary caregivers cannot be like, we can't talk about that enough, mm -hmm. um, which is so funny because every client, almost every client I start working with, like, oh, yeah, but that was when I was a kid. This is not important anymore. Hmm. Like, almost invariably, people are like, yeah, this doesn't really matter. I'm like, are you sure? Um, and then later, you know, the pieces come together, <laughs> obviously. Right, right. Um but yeah, it's just, it's it's the primary way that we learn to relate to the world is through these people, right? And there are models for uh, both like how we see ourselves, I think, especially for younger kids in terms of like gender. And uh, that's, that's where we get those ideas from, even if they're not consciously talking about this is what boys do, this is what boys don't do, et cetera. Um, and yeah, I just think it's it's so so impactful, and I think you know in my work with clients, I often talk about like this dynamic of having a parent who couldn't meet your needs, right? Whether they were actually like neglectful, whether or not like family services was involved or not, but like having that gap between these are what my needs are as a child, and here's what you are offering as a parent. 
and having a gap sometimes, and for some people, is larger than others, right? And one, I think giving people the permission to acknowledge that there is a gap. So I think especially for black and brown folks, it's really hard to acknowledge that disparity because especially with an outsider, right? Because then you're sort of um, yeah. disparaging your family, your culture in some way to a quote unquote outsider, someone who's different than you. And that's really hard for people to acknowledge. And I think then from there, figuring out, okay, what was that difference? What did you actually need? Um, you know, and I think it was just so beautiful to have a conversation like this occur where you have uh, a black mother acknowledging these are the ways in which I messed up. These are the ways in which I could have been better for you. And him finally getting to hear that as an adult, right? It's like sometimes people don't ever have that conversation. No. Mm. Yeah. They don't. I, uh, and it, it's hard for a parent to own up to that, to be accountable to that, to say that they messed up, right? It's hard. I get it why parents don't want to do it. And so sometimes it'll be a little bit more subtle, or sometimes they'll just start acting better or providing better. Sometimes when me and you have clients start setting better boundaries and respect and demanding things. Mm -hmm. So there's never really an apology, but sometimes they just start making those concessions towards the child and their needs. And sometimes that's enough. Uh, I feel like me and you probably deal with a lot of clients that are just like, why don't my parents act better? Why don't they yeah. love me? Why won't they meet me where I'm at with my gender, my sexuality, my life choices in college, my partner choices? Why, why won't they? Why won't they? Uh, why do they still ask me for money? Or why do they still berate me or act like I'm a child and I'm like 25? And I say some of these parents ain't got the skills. Just flat out. Right. Just, not even up, it's not even about you, homie. Like, it's just, they just can't. Some of them just don't have love to give because they're in so much shame. And I talk to them about, you know, the different traumas that their parents with. And sometimes I try to lead them to a little bit of empathy, not necessarily forgiveness, a little Come bit on. of empathy. Because, you know, some parents just don't have the juice to do it. And I say it, we need to accept them from who they are. Just like you want them to accept you, ain't going to happen. But we can accept them and stop fighting against them and doing all this shit because you're wasting too much of your good energy on them that are probably never going to meet you where you need to be. I get they couldn't meet you when you were young, but we don't even have to be around them anymore. We can choose our family. But back to what you're saying, Spence, family is massive. It can lead into poor relationships, poor partners. It can lead into defense mechanisms where you're super funny, you're avoiding from connections. It can lead into substance abuse because you're so traumatized that you just want to numb it. So you're drinking more alcohol, smoking more blunts. Uh, it can lead into many other horrible addictions. It can lead you into dropping out or it can lead you to being highly fucking successful, super anxious, super obsessive, and super determined. It can lead you to being very hateful and spiteful. It can lead you to being more loving and open. It's not generalized one size fits all when the family dynamic is fucked up. Right. But one thing that is good universally is when a parent owns up and then they meet you where you're at and they support you like the mom does and says, I love you. You ain't even got to love me. No strings attached. But you're going to know that I love you. That universally is wonderful. When you go yeah. into drug rehab, for those that don't know, it's not just like, oh, you're just going to detox. You're going to be in group therapy, individual therapy, and you're going to be doing learning job skills. You're going to be journaling. You're going to be meditating. 
So people are like, how did she get like wise? It was not that she just got off the drugs. She's also getting mm-hmm. therapized herself. And in that means you have to do introspection and realize that you fucked up. Mm-hmm. And that's a tough place to be. Um, most of the kids, Darrell, when they come to me, they're like, let me guess. It's all about my parents fucked me up. I'm like, probably. You know? <laughs> right. Like, okay. So we under- we both understand. Let's go now. Yeah. Let me guess. Like, always- I don't know how this is going to help me now. It's like, it's nice to understand, like, what the triggers are. Yeah. How do we combat those emotions? What are the emotions that come up? Like, identifying it is just step one, you little turd. <laughs> like, yes. now we got to do the therapy based on it. Um so that you don't just keep traumatizing yourself. As some of my folks that get traumatized, they'll just keep doing it over and over in all their relationships. As we know with folks that are sometimes uh, abused mentally, physically, emotionally, sexually, I'll see that they will just keep going through these horrific things because that's what they think they deserve. They can't get more. Maybe they think that's normal and so their partners are that. I've seen it where now they become the victimizer instead of the victim. Um. The first step is understanding what you came from, why they were like that, why you're like that. The first step is to question everything. To find out who you are, like Kevin does, you must question everything. So what did Chiron end up doing? He ends up becoming the man that showed him the most love. Same car, same thing in the dashboard, jewelry, the the fronts or the mouthpiece. Gross, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's he sits in the same places, he talks in the same, he has the same musculature. Everything that he did as a kid, he still does as an adult. So why does childhood matter, you ask Spence? Well, me and Jarrell know mm. that because it replicates itself throughout life. Yeah. And you're like, but how? Look at these little small little things that you pointed out, Spence. He's sitting in the same place. Right? There's many little different things that he does that his pops used to do. Mm-hmm. So it affects us. And I ask people all the time, we've even asked therapists on here, what do you remember about your dad? Or what are the things that you picked up? And they'll say this or that, or what movies or shows where they watch this or that. Because it sits with you. Subconsciously, consciously, through your actions, through your thoughts. Um, so to untangle those webs is tough. And not everyone wants to do it because it's work. And that work sucks yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Uh, so... Yeah. And it- it can take a long time too, right? Yeah. Sometimes so that, it's a lifetime. Sometimes it's a lifetime. So that's why I want to ask you, Jarrell. Um, you got this young man, let's say, that's sitting in front of you. And I'm sure you've had plenty of young black individuals, males that are queer, maybe closeted, maybe overly masculine. What have those conversations been like? What have those conversations been with men that want to come out or want to live in their real life to want to be authentically them? How have you handled them? How have they gone? Any tips or advice for folks that are listening? And then I'll do a little preaching too. Yeah. Um, I, I think for it's interesting because I haven't worked with a lot of people who are, um, you know, still very, I'll use the word like discreet, I guess. Okay. Um, and, you know, uh, I've worked mostly with folks who are who've already come out to themselves, and and so it's just, but it is interesting to think about even with that. And a lot of the work that I find myself doing around gender and sexuality is again helping people understand the messaging 
that they get from the locations in which they exist. Right. Explain. So really starting to just name, oh, you think you're this way or this is what you believe. Where did that actually come from, do you think? Right. And then like pulling that thread to helping them understand, well, maybe this thing that you think is just like normal and typical was a very specific script that was given to you maybe a million times over that you've also internalized. Right. First starting there and then inviting the exploration of well, is this something, is this a script you still want to have? Or do you want to change it? And if you do, let's talk about how. Let's talk about what ways you can practice changing it or enact something that's different uh, for your life. And so I, I find that a lot of my work is identifying those patterns and scripts and narratives for people and then inviting them to explore that for themselves without judgment, without retribution, without concern in the safety of the therapeutic space and say, like, yeah, we can, you can still think that if you want, right? Let's talk about what it gives you and what the risks, risks or implications are, right? Then you, you consciously decide that, but unconsciously deciding that's probably not that good for you, right? Just those living, like you say, and replicating these sort of patterns and things from your childhood. We all do that unless you interrupt the process. Unless you investigate. And that's what I find myself doing quite a bit. A lot yeah. of investigation and a lot of validating, a lot of teamwork, mm -hmm. a lot of questioning in the, in the dynamic and then just you two figuring it out. Uh, I remember I was working with a human, a uh, young man of color, and, and, and I'm like, hey, man, I think, you, I think you, I'm pretty sure you're gay. Like, I'm like, man, you, 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 you're gay. Mm. And he said, no, man, people think that. And then I got what we call same-sex attraction. I'm like, okay. So that's a, what, the, what the word that they use in a lot of Christian, but specifically Catholic uh, mm -hmm. places. And so, right, they're like, same-sex attractions. It doesn't mean nothing. You know, I'm just attracted to that. And I said, but, you know, I'm still straight. I'm like, okay. So then we start breaking down some barriers and, I said, so what do you think that, you know, the gay folk don't look like me? I said, okay, so what do they look like? They were the little skinny white kids. I was like, okay. Uh, the more flamboyant, this and that, a lot of colors, right? It's a more masculine, buttoned down, right? A uh, thicker individual of, of color, right? And they said, they don't look like us. I use the word us because they, they look like me. And they said, oh, okay, so you ain't never seen no big brown gay folk. Nope, never seen them. They don't exist. Okay, so let's get to let's pull out the Google because they got this shit that they created. You know, called <laughs> I was gonna say. <laughs> so right, I didn't know what private mode back then was, but I should have just been big, brown, and gay. <laughs> Amazing. Bunch of crazy shit popped up. I'm sure. <laughs> well, put on the safe search. There yeah, we go. Safe. No, I'm every image ahead. is blurred. Shit. Uh... <laughs> we'll go ahead and bookmark this. Bookmark that. <laughs> God damn! <laughs> Saw some stuff that day. Had to bleach my eyes. Oh my <laughs> um, and it was the funnest experience as we're both sitting there on this big ass double monitors that I have, <laughs> and we're coming across these individuals, and it's like I know a couple that are in pro sports that are gay. I know a couple of NBA athletes that are out currently that were out before. This is when like Michael Sam was coming out. 
and you know and then he didn't get drafted until the very end by the cowboys um i had the privilege to meet this i think i think his name is ezra played for the minnesota vikings um, i think so yep. big, um polynesian Polynesian, yeah, I was gonna say Hawaiian. Big, uh, big singer was on. So you think he can sing or whatever the hell one yeah. of those shows were? I actually got to meet him over at the store I worked at. Very nice guy. He was great. Yep. I couldn't find anything that fit him because he was just, <laughs> yeah, muscular, straight shit. up muscle. So he's like my size, but like pure muscle. It was like, yeah, uh, awesome human. Went to a thing with my students with him, and so I tell my boy, I said, "Look, we're gonna Google this guy." So I want you to listen to come in some of his speeches. Okay, so he comes back the next week. I say, you didn't think he was gay, did you? Well, no, he can't be. Oh, he's pretty gay. Mm. Um, <laughs> I'm having fun with this. Right. Because it, the only way to get some of these things through is to be a little funny with these students, yes, a little yeah, joking. Totally. Because too serious, and they're going to be mad at me and avoiding and all that stuff, and they're going to be defensive is the word. And so we're doing the Googling, we're talking, we're, meet, we're meeting some other folks. I'm having them Google, right? We're figuring things out. We're talking to more family members now, and we're starting to get to a deeper place. The sessions end because we stopped the main thing why they wanted relationship issues with their current uh, female partner. Uh, and so I wonder why they're having issues. Um, mm. So then, you know, comes back at the end when they come to graduate. He said, you know what? I said, what's up, man? How you doing? He said, you know, I hated you. I said, okay, why'd you hate me? Because you said something that I didn't like. And then that stuck with me for a while. And I had to confront those things. And, you know, after all the work me and you did, you know, I'm, I'm cool with it now. I'm cool with it now, right? I've uh, I've talked to people. I've recommended and sent people your way uh, that were very strict and conservative with these issues with same-sex attraction, this and that. I said, I ain't pushing no one to do nothing, man. I'm just helping you dig and ask questions. But you're saying that I helped you? Much appreciation. Gave me a big old hug, and then they graduated a couple weeks later. Um, you know, sometimes we're just doing investigating what you like, what you don't like, what you think these misconceptions are. Like you said, let's identify and write a new script. Write a new script on what you want to look like, how you want to act, because you don't have to follow this one like us neurodivergent folks. We just, oh, this is the one I'm going to follow. Um, <laughs> everyone laughs when I say this inappropriate shit, so I'm going to keep saying this inappropriate shit. And then you become the court jester, or you become the super toxic masculine individual, or you become so scared of people, you become very reserved and you hide in your room. So us on the spectrum, we put on these scripts all the time and, you know, we end up getting diagnosed with personality disorders, but we never found out who we actually are. And thus it looks like a personality disorder when it really isn't. It's just masking and mirroring our entire lives, becoming very depressed and suicidal. This is my man down. Having bad parents like this, Spence, or a lack of parents, I'm surprised the young man did not commit suicide. Um, mm. Surprised when he went to prison, he didn't kill himself uh, or went to jail. That I would find it difficult to continue living after you know all everything. Everything is gone. Everything that would be tough. To, that client in real life would be very depressed. Yeah. Uh, especially if they're going to jail and they're already soft, very hurt. That's the only thing I didn't agree with some of the movie is that most likely, you know, his, maybe his life is already forfeit because he's trapping. But I mean, um, I think also, I think uh, they probably knew Juan too. 
so maybe they got protect he got protection through there um Could that's kind of like my little thought about it i think maybe he got through his protection through there yeah through the family because you know um even though it was in georgia and stuff like that different state but still though i mean i bet a lot of people from florida go to georgia when they go yep, to because it's right uh, on the highway yep. it's right on the highway so, um mm-hmm. 75 yeah it's uh it's wonderful to find someone through this is what i'll end with uh Never in my life did I think I'd be working with folks at LGBTQ+, not because I didn't want to, because I just didn't think that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I was just like, I'm going to help brown people and like stay in school, period, stay in school. And then you end up finding out staying in school mm-hmm. means about 50 million different things. Mm-hmm. And sexuality and gender ends up being one of those things. And trauma and abuse ends up in anxiety, mm-hmm. suicidality, but like the LGBTQ stuff. And now I find myself helping out a lot of queer individuals, folks that are trans, as folks that are on the spectrum, we know that it's about 60-70% of folks that identify as trans identify as being on the spectrum. That's a high clip, which identifies trans. And so if you see someone as trans, not that being trans means that you're on the spectrum, but a lot of folks that are on the spectrum are trans. We can talk into scripts and identities and and how a lot of us don't you know, really fuck with that and how we choose our own thing and thus leads into different genders. That's a different story for a different day. I remember my boy, when I realized I made a big change in life, uh, graduate school, Spence. And I've mm-hmm. talked about one of my boys before. Loved the guy. Loved the guy. I would die for the guy and his daughters. Um, we go to a graduation party, and a bunch of my friends in there are queer. Some men are queer, and they're giving me hugs, and we're all happy and drinking, and we're walking outside at the end of it. And he said, hey, man, I need to talk to you. I said, what's up? Celine's with me, behind me, my brother. And it goes, you don't never hug no F word in front of me ever again. What's up, man? He said, yeah, man, you don't do that stuff around me ever, ever. And I said, this is what we're doing right now? I didn't even hesitate. This this is what we're doing right now. Jesus. So I don't, I don't know where this is coming from or why are you acting like this or, or what's going on? Are you drunk? I don't really know, but you ain't never going to say no stupid shit like this in front of me ever again. Especially in front of my brother. Yeah, this ain't happening. I said, "You need to shut up, or I'm gonna shut you up." And then he shut up, and we continued to walk. Uh, like I said, still my boy. That was a weird and interesting day. I don't know what he was going through, or why he was having those thoughts, or why he felt like that was the moment to cut me. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't want to say any more about his background, this and that, but it was. It was interesting. That's when I realized I did a lot of changing myself, right? Because I don't give a shit. I mean, you show me love, you help me in school, I'm going to show you love. I don't care what you're doing, who you're talking to, what you look like. I don't care if yeah. you're a furry, whatever it is. You show me love, I'm going to show you love. Yeah. And I wonder, like, especially when you have people like that, since you've known for a while, it's just like, then you have that thing in the back of your head now being like, this person's a little bit of a piece of shit. Like, what the fuck? But that's the thing is I know that they're not, but that word, that thing I, came out. Yeah, and, and, it and but it's things. like it's that little thing where you kind of look at them a little differently. Just a I little did. bit, you know. Always an intense moment. And I've very I've only felt like I had to fight this person maybe once or twice. That was once. Yeah. Cause it was intense. Like when I start to get like teary eyed mad, I'm like, oh, something's going on. I'm really mad. Yeah. Uh, that was fucked up. And so now you move on in life because I said some probably horrible shit when I was younger. Horrible. Slurs on everything. Mm-hmm. And then you end up supporting gay folk and then I'm in there writing recommendations for folks to get HRT. Maybe some of you will hate that. 
uh, top surgery, whatever, um, life changes. And you end up just loving all the people that come into your office. Why? Because you're trying to make sure that they are happy right? and they are supported and loved on however they present in your office. Yeah. Life is weird. Never thought I would be in this position to show this much love to this many people. Mm-hmm. Which is why I can't wait to move back to Detroit and actually give it to the people that I want to instead of people that I know are legit like racist and they're just being nice in my office. Mm-hmm. Different story for a different day. Different story yeah. for a different, different day. day. Yeah. yeah, I did a lot of introspection after the funeral. A lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm so done in higher ed. Done. But uh, let's get into the last scene. Yes. So, um, so like we said before, um, the last scene that we just watched with the mom that kind of goes into this scene. Um, so, um, Sharon, he's back from Georgia in Florida and uh, visits his mom, but then uh, he got a call in the middle of the night, um, from Kevin. Kind of Kevin. Kevin was asking, "What's this? What's this going on? What you doing? Stuff like that." He was like, "All right, Kevin. All right, Kevin." <laughs> um, and um, and so uh, the pass between uh, Kevin and Sharon kind of quickly is um, so they so Sharon actually had his first and only uh, experience with Kevin uh, while they were on the beach. Um, but then all the stuff at the high school happened. And the last time I think Sharon actually saw Kevin was when he was in handcuffs um, going into the squad car um, and driving off to prison. So. This is the um, this is the first time that they've seen each other since then, and um, now Kevin's kind of talking like, "Oh, you're trapping now, huh? Hard now, okay? I, I don't I don't think that's really you." And of course, Sharon kind of, you know, is like, "Do you really know me?" And so like, he's like, "I know you, I know you pretty good." So. Um, and they're sharing that moment of kind of um, how Sharon really, when he went to prison, he really had to rebuild himself um, to be hard instead of kind of just like this quiet, um, quote unquote, soft kid. Um, right. And so um, he had to hide all of his vulnerabilities, all of his so-called uh, weaknesses, again, quote unquote, um, uh and so to kind of play this part of being uh, someone who's hard. And so now he's actually, Sharon is actually um, being able to be himself again, kind of have that vulnerability when it comes to Kevin. And then Kevin's also being the same because Kevin went more of the route of more, um, you know, he had a kid and everything and um, he really had to put on the so-called act of being heterosexual right just so that he could kind of survive and get through everything um and then it ends on a note of you know um Chiron is being hugged and cradled by Kevin um and they're having a tender moment and and then it ends with Chiron looking at the ocean um and then turning back so um uh, just kind of get your thoughts um on this scene and uh what is there anything that you can kind of pick from it and be like okay let me therapize this really quick yeah well i'll say first and foremost as a viewer mm-hmm. it's like one of them that whole sequence is one of the most frustrating 
oh. things I that I experience in the movie because I'm like, okay, can we just get to it, please? Like we we know why you're both here. Can we get <laughs> to the business? More action, son. Right? Like that no one calls you after X amount of years. Yeah, let me nice see. to you. Like, what's going on? Come see me, I'll cook for you. I was then, just thinking you about you. Right. Come on, man. Where are um, you? <laughs> right. What were you thinking about? Let's talk about it. Um, so, so man. That, right? Like, that was really frustrating for me as a viewer, because I'm like, everyone knows why we're here, that's right? But, it's, but that's also the challenge, right? So is you, that, what I'm hearing is you don't like foreplay. That's what I'm hearing. I mean, sometimes too much. There's a, such a thing as too much, right? So... <laughs> Right, we had this whole movie of them sort of, you know, dancing around each other, a little bit of something. But yep. um, y'all grown now. Get to exactly. It. I'm like, y'all are grown. Let's get to the business. Um, yeah, but aside from that, right? It's like that's also the challenge because even though, and they talk about this in the scene in their own way, it's like how they navigated life, right? Yeah the idea of masculine performance one being like maybe performing the role of like a stereotypical straight person getting out of prison starting a family this whole situation another one you know following this mirror and a model that he had in his you know adoptive father right and like needing to be safe and obviously building him up himself up physically in a particular way right which i'm sure puts people off and keeps them protected so mm -hmm. they both talk about these performances, right? And yet, and this is why it's unsatisfying, even though there's still this moment of connection and tenderness, they still can't get over the final hump mm -hmm. what we see, no yeah. pun intended. Um, they can't get over that final bridge to say like, okay, this is who we are. Let's be at full tilt, even if it's just for this night, right? And, yeah. and so that's why I also found it like, it's it's bittersweet right because like you see the vulnerability you see them have the conversation mm -hmm. but it's also unsatisfying because i don't get the sense that they end up in the place that is fully themselves I do and that's it. what's heartbreaking about this story yep and i also want to say that um it's also pretty terrible that it's like to be quote unquote normal, you have to like slang drugs and act all this toughness instead of just you just you know you're attracted to men, right? Instead of just being soft and kind yeah. and loving, yeah, and right. quiet and you have and, to and, act like you deal drugs and are a killer and stuff like that just to pass. And people think that is. this is a dr dramatized thing. This is not dramatized. Mm -mm. This is not dramatized. I just came back from something where this is very much the reality for almost everyone. And you see the uneducation, you see the masculinity and toxicity from everyone, even the women, even more so they act from the women. Mm. Um, and it made me sad, made me scared uh, for them, not myself. This is, this is the life that we lived. I only went to college to play football. If not for me being large, I don't know what I would have been. My mm -hmm. size ended up protecting me mm -hmm. in almost every single way from others led me to college allowed me to allowed me to be needed and useful to so many people because I was large and strong so people had to treat me kind for that it just man, life is weird um but back to the scene 
you know, make a good point. Why, why is that the normal? Why, why do we always look at black folk, specifically black versus just brown, Hispanic, Chicano? Um, it's this monolith of this is what you need to be. Well, you know, if you wear glasses, you need to talk like, you need to get a little point dexter in you. Why do, why do we need to start calling you Coonan or something like that? Why, why do there's so mm. many different things? Why is it that my young black men that come to me and, you know, as I like anime, my, my Colombian kids, whatever, I like anime and I don't fit that crowd. And then we start breaking down why they don't fit that crowd. And then a little bit later, we were like, so you're a little neuro spicy too, ain't you? Um, <laughs> so that's one of the reasons why you don't fit that crowd in the other crowd. But, you know, still the mm. monolith of black folk is like rapper, masculine. Right. That's changed a little bit in the recent years now. There's many different versions now, but uh it's still very more hyper masculine. It's still statistically bad for health outcomes, bad for how people look at us and the implicit biases that they have. I mean how I made a joke the other day when I put Salim in a really nice like clothes and suit, I say, Hey man, this look good. We can go shopping. We spent some money when shopping. I said, mm. damn man, you look like you bought to sling some cocaine down in Miami. <laughs> My God. And so he, he ended up repeating that. And I said, man, man, it's the wrong crowd to repeat that in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but I'm like, legit. He looked like, you know, like one of these bros down in Miami. Right. I said, man, you're doing something. Um, but that's again, is the inherent racial implicit bias of, People, yeah. brown people that look like that, they have a little bit of chest hair sticking out in the collar and all that nice shirt, is that mm -hmm. you're probably slinging dope. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's a thing. Uh, so even in my speech, I know that. Um, yeah. So as we get into the scene, uh, you're right. You're right. The tease. The tease is a long and dramatic, and I'm just like, just fucking talk about it. Right. Can we talk about how there's this thing and how both of you may be gay or both of you may be bi? Chiron's definitely just strictly gay. And yeah. it looks like he was pretty much asexual moving forward the rest of his life because that's how much he was hiding. Yeah. From seen from the dream and the wet dream that he had previously. Um and the nightmares that he has continuously. And then he does the ice bath, which is a a DBT dialectical behavior therapy treatment for folks that are suicidal or emotionally deregulating. A lot of spectrumy folks I have do the ice baths with their hands, not always their face. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a really cool regulation thing if folks see that in the yeah. movie. Um, he asked him, this isn't, this isn't you. And I didn't expect this to be you. Why are you fronting? You don't know me? Nah, I know you, man. I know you. I know you as that soft thing, that, that good thing from before. This guy? I don't know this guy. This guy's okay, but I don't know this guy. Yeah. And I feel like it takes a deep friend to check you and shit like that. How Spence checks me every once in a while. I may check him on something health-wise. You know, mm -hmm. me and Colin, you know, when some weird stuff happened. And I'm like, hey, I'm not going to say it on screen. Uh, but, you know, some scary stuff happened with, you know, health stuff. And I said, I want you to get this stuff out the house just in case you ever get depressed and you decide to hurt yourself. People are like, why would you ever say that? I'm like, there's certain things that need to be said to make sure that those people are protected. Mm -hmm. Um Especially if you know that that person is something else and that they're active. Hey, hey, this is your co-host Spencer, and I'm bringing you a special message from our collaborator, Silver Dollar Candles. They have great sense to go with great messages, just like best dad ever, true crime and chill, and my personal favorite, when this candle is lit, give me that d 
You can also make your own candle and message that fits you. So go use our link in our link tree to get your order placed with Silver Dollar Candles today. That was the best part of the scene. But then you have the embrace at the end. Which this is what I thought you were talking about, uh, Jarrell, is that you know, don't get to see what the future brings for them or if they start to actualize who they want to be or if they stay together. Or yeah, it's does open-ended. He stop, does he like... stop trapping? But what you see is that healing hug. But where sure. do you go from that healing hug? Where do you go from that him being soothed? Hmm. Yeah. We get to see the soothing, but not afterwards. But the thing is that he got that. And I feel like the majority of our clients, that's why they come to therapy is to have that soothing. Sure. Right. And I love, like, in this scene, it's very subtle, but you see him sink into it. Hmm. If you, like, really pay attention, like, it just happens, and then there's a moment he, like, breathes, he exhales, and you yeah. see him sink into it for the first time. I was like, man, that's such a beautiful shot. You ever you ever been crying, Jarrell, and then someone will hug you, and then you cry even harder? Mm-hmm. That's, that's how it happens. I hate Because <laughs> it's why the tenderness, I... and you're like, oh, it's too much. I was crying but one time and someone held my back and like rubbed my back. I started sobbing. Mm -hmm. And then the mm -hmm. next time I told him, don't you ever fucking touch me. Motherfucker. <laughs> 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 I start crying. It's a no touch zone. All right? yeah, no, don't, don't fucking nothing. touch me. Um, <laughs> because I know if you touch me, I'm going to tank. Yeah. Yeah. The same thing with clients. Everyone kind of yeah. knows that. Maybe some of the folks listening that are neurodivergent, maybe, you know, they don't express emotions like that. Maybe the touch is awkward or off-putting and that can sure. overstimulate them. But for a lot of folks, the acceptance and the nurturing makes you tank and cry and feel those emotions tenfold. Yeah. I can hear some of my clients in my head right now. Well, what good does that do? Sometimes to actually heal, you need to completely tear off that band-aid and have that deep, deep loss, anger, uh, sadness, pain come out. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's safety. That moment of safety. There you go. That's feeling safe where you can just let whatever happens happen. Student the other day, they, 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 uh, I thought they disappointed me because I checked them on something and then they, they, they said, uh, start crying. I said, why are you crying? And he said, well, because I disappointed you. I said, what the fuck? You didn't disappoint me. We've been over this. And then afterwards, they go, you proud of me? And I said, what do I tell you? Every time I tell you, you ask me that question. I'm not answering it anymore. What do I tell you? You always say, I'm always proud of you. So, okay, so we're on the same page. So you need to stop asking me. And I said, you put me in this weird position where I'm like some father figure or something like that. And I start to break down why we're doing this. Well, do you do this with other friends? Is it just me because I'm older? Is it because I'm a male? Um, it's because I'm your therapist? And they just continuously start crying. And so we sat in it for a while. And Spence knows I don't touch anyone. So I tell this kid, I said, you don't have to, kid. You want a hug? The kid's like, yeah. So I give him a <laughs> hug, and then they unleash. Mm. And as we walk out the door, and they're just still going, I'm like, you're okay, kid. Yeah. I sent them the Lion King, uh, remember who you are afterwards via, uh, via email. Uh some people are hurting, man, and that hug is just like the explanation point on it. I can't wait to process everything in the next session. The feelings, the emotions, 
the things that they're transferring on to me, such as Chiron did to his uh, to Juan. Yeah. And then how that plays out in the therapy session, especially with folks of color, right? And so let's see how this plays out because you cry in front of me and I don't reject you. The other day, a client cried in front of me on Zoom and I called them on it because they said they would never cry in front of me. And then here they are welling up three times. So yeah. I call them on it and what do they do? They tipped their computer screen upward so I couldn't see them anymore. <laughs> and we, I shit you not, we finished the rest of the session like this. So I was looking at the ceiling. And he didn't mute, so you just hear. <laughs> yeah, for real. I still heard it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to relate this back. I said, I know what this is, kid. This is the childhood trauma where your family told you, don't cry. They don't mm -hmm. cry. Don't cry. And so now you have this inability to express fucking anything. And this has impacted relationships and now your job. And now you can't even cry in front of your therapist. Well, it gets you nowhere. Why do we keep worrying about this? Why are you always seeking validation from me? And like, you know, am I doing the right thing? That's because you don't trust any of your emotions at all because you never allow yourself to feel them. So yeah. maybe you would be a better advocate if I make you cry in therapy. Well, if you keep doing this, I'm going to discontinue. Whatever it is, okay. I'm still going to keep doing this because this is the path. Yeah, totally. This yeah, is I, the path. I, I think I definitely have those moments where clients, one of the things that I encounter relatively often is people apologizing for crying. Yeah. And so especially for people I've been working with for a while, I can, you know, we get to a point the crying happens and I know it's about to come. Right. And I, I will like preempt Don't you dare. Don't you dare. I know what, what you're about to say. Don't you dare. Let's continue. Because that's oh, what, what like we're doing that. today. Yeah. Like don't you that. dare apologize you to me dare. for crying in therapy. I was like, this is what the space is for, you know, like to whatever happens, this is what the space is for. Um, so yeah, I think that, mm -hmm. you know, again, like that space, that container for people to be able to just like, let go of the expectations, the judgment, the narratives, and just say, you get to be, this is how I see it anyway, you get to be who you are in this space. Hopefully we can find a way to translate that into the outer world more, right? But let's start here. And whatever happens here, I'm cool with. Let's do it. Human. Human with uh, paranoid thoughts and some OCD, you know, said something. And OCD is a horrible son of a gun to deal with. Because you might have suicidal thoughts, homicidal thoughts, different things, obsessions about. And they said, they looked at me. They said, you're going to judge me. I said, you'd be surprised. Right. You'd be surprised. And they said, you're going to, you never heard nothing like this before. I said, you'd be surprised. Mm -hmm. And so they said something. And I said, very common, actually, with people with OCD to deal with this. Thoughts of, like, hurting someone else or maybe some sexualized thoughts about something else. I said, this is actually pretty common. And this doesn't mean you're a terrible piece of person, uh, piece of shit. And actually this probably comes out some violence that happened to you when you were younger. Oh, it did. Oh, so let's talk about mm. that impact, that trauma. Maybe we can see where your OCD originated from. Mm. Oh, it was in a family dynamic too thing. So sorry for some of this triggering stuff maybe, but this things can relate back to usually something further behind. Um, this hug and comfort, it's a wonderful thing that we can provide. I remember in graduate school, I asked a professor, I was way in the back of class. And people know some of my past. And they said, Naj, you're such a nice, kind, and loving person. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna ask this, I want to ask this question, though. It's how do you do what you did, professor? How do you just therapize that student in front of class and provide this warm, fuzzy, pink blanket just with your voice? I want to do that. I want to do that. 
I want to be able to hug people without doing it. Mm-hmm. And so then eventually I figured it out through inflection, posture, intention, all types of things. That hug is magnificent for a lot of folks. Uh, a couple quotes that stuck out, Spence. Mm-hmm. He said, I went to jail, right? And in Jarrell, too, I went to jail and I built myself from the ground up hard. Because that's, you know, you think you're tough, you think you're hard. Hard it means like strong, uh, masculine, mm-hmm. violent. Um, that's when you see everyone walking around, men with their chest up and their shoulders back, making it look like they got more muscles than they got. And when they, they, when they walk like this. Mm-hmm. I used to do that in college when I was trying, or when I was in high school trying to get to college football, I'd walk around like this. My shoulders all out and shit. Wow, he's so intimidating. <laughs> I just be with like a big ass penguin, just flopping. <laughs> <laughs> you know? uh, many folks on the spectrum will do this, but everyone does this. You build yourself on based on what society thinks that you want you to be subconsciously and how you'll fit in best. So if you're hanging around a bunch of folks that are you know, watching anime and that's the thing and that's what everyone's doing. So you're going to try and mil- bull, mil- build or mold yourself into mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I got those two words got crossed. Doing, it's funny. Uh, rest in peace, uh, Nick Lopez that passed away in the funeral I just went to. But they talked about him being soft and kind and an old man. Mm-hmm. And he passed away at 33 from diabetes. Left behind two kids uh, and his twin brother and his mom. Um and I said he was a he was the same boy that I knew and I played with growing up all the way until middle school. The same kid, even in his adulthood, very nice, kind, and he did nothing but cook. And it's the same kid that he was when we were playing around in elementary. And I guarantee you, I used to bully him about that. Other people used to mess with him about that. And I said all he did was watch ESPN, play with his kids, and watch the cooking channel. And people would razz and shit him for watching the cooking channel. So now that he's passed, they said all the friends are just watching their cooking channel now. And they're cooking because that's what he did. I'm glad he never broke from who he was. Mm-hmm. And never became part of like the other things that other family members got into and he decided not to. It's a rarity. Instead of acting tough and hard, there's other ways that you can still get by and still be authentic to you. Uh, I want you to talk on this real quick, uh, Jarrell. Kevin says, I never got to be who I wanted to be. You know, I just kept making choices and shit. And like, what do you, who do you think he meant by that? You know, you've seen the movie. Why is Kevin thinking that he just was like this imposter, this puppet? Yeah, I I don't know. I think it's, I think it largely is related to like his sense of self sexually. Right. Because even in the earlier scene, when him and Chiron are on the beach, right, right after the thing happens, he kind of asked Chiron, he's like, oh, so you've never done this before, which implies that Kevin has, and he has experience, right? He also just engages with confidence in that scene, right? And, you know, I think when he's talking later about, like, never being himself, I think it's really about him giving himself the freedom to one like really acknowledge for himself what that means right what those experiences mean for him and and who he is and yeah i think it's about him and probably some other ways too right because even just how did he end up 
cooking, right? Very like an atypical kind of path for him, but he seems to really enjoy it, right? He seems to really enjoy providing people with like this thing, with nourishment, with that experience, because that's the thing he offers to Chiron when he invites him hmm. also. And so it's just interesting to think about all these, like the ways he is atypical, but you see throughout the film, Kevin's performance of those scripts is usually at the behest of other people, the asshole Terrell being one of them, right? And so it's like, I think that's that. Like he didn't want to do that thing, you know, but he knew he had to. Yep. Otherwise it was going to be him. Yep. And what you're referring to is when the Kevin had to beat up uh, Chiron in, in mm -hmm. like uh, high school. Because he always had to do what others told him to do. And then he acts so hyper-masculine and so sexualized with women and yep. all that. And yet, could be bi, could be gay, could right. be pan. But uh, right. so, man, the show that he put on, and then they have this tender moment on the beach where some stuff happens. They talk about breathing and feeling the air. And he said, it makes you want to cry. And he goes to Sharon, you cry? Or Kevin goes, you cry? He's like, no, man, I don't cry. Well, motherfucker, you just said it makes you want to cry. <laughs> Right. But then now you're saying you don't cry. So I'm like, right. It's one or the other, dog. Right. <laughs> um, and then things happen. I wonder how many people actually kiss on the beach like that. It's like a thing. We're going to go, we go and walk on the beach. Mm -hmm. I know where this is going. <laughs> yeah, I know where this is going. Is it is on the beach like a Netflix and chill thing? At I don't night. know. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, perhaps like must have ah oh, the sand. I've been like, damn, the sand? Really? I know, itchy and shit. I'm just picturing like bugs biting you. <laughs> yeah, there are sand mites, so watch yeah, out. I people. know. I've been picture. Um I just wanted to touch on that. Yeah. Is that he always had to put on this show. And this is I think the whole thing of the podcast is I think I'll name it a couple different things. I'll figure it out. Young, black, and queer or um, authenticity and queerness, or I'll mix something in with folks who call. I'll try to make sure the intersectionalities hit in this. Mm. Um, shit, I might just say intersectionalities and in some different. I'll figure it out. But the performance piece of this is that the whole movie's about everyone's acting, and what we all know on the spectrum is our fucking lives. And folks of color, women, you're all putting on an act for something. Everyone's putting on an act about something. When we go out in public, when we're in a house, we're somewhat normal. We stuttering and shit. <laughs> um, Spence, uh, we can take us out. I'm happy that we've got you on the pod. Yeah. You said, Naj, you didn't have to wait until you get more legitimized, but I wanted to wait until we got a good product to start inviting people. Yeah, uh, it was um, it was kind of. Kind of, kind of raw. We'll say that. We'll say it's raw. Yeah, we were sus for a while. Was, yeah, fair enough. Now we're starting to get our get our gears in in the line. So. It is. So nice. Uh, as we get out of here, folks. Um, right now that you know them, you know they got some books that are coming out. Uh, can you say what the names of the books are, and then tell us where people can find you? Yeah, sure. Let me go ahead now. Yeah. yeah. Okay, perfect. Um, yes. So uh, my uh, upcoming book is Self-Care for Black Men, which is out November 7th. My previous work, the Shadow Work Workbook, is already available for sale. Um, you can follow me on social, mostly on Instagram at Jarell Uh no hyphen. 
And um, yeah, website at jarellcatabayo.com. And you can follow my practice uh, at Viva Mental Health on Instagram as well. Awesome. And you can also pre-order the book uh, on Amazon as well. And you can go through his site and you can pre-order it there as well. So please go check out uh, Jarell Caraballo. Great stuff. Uh, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Uh, we really appreciate you and getting your perspective on the Moonlight. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Give me a good excuse to rewatch it too. So that was good. <laughs> there you go. Also, just want to point out before we leave, one thing that I saw was that when Juan had his grill in, he only had on the bottom half. So yep. you could kind of see that, you know, he was kind of like in and out of being in that lifestyle. But then once uh, little Sharon grew up, he had both of them and he was always showing, showing his grill off just to be a little bit more masculine. Yep. Right. That was one thing I noticed too. So, yeah, that's a good, I, I figured that part too. And then I left out my favorite part and then the tiny mm. thing that's always stuck in my head. It's mm. the way that young boy looks back. Yeah. It yep. reminds yep. me yep. of the traumatized young men. And then how we wanted our childhoods to be for all the terrifying things in the past. And that scene makes me cry. It makes me cry when I walk my clients through the path of what would the young version of you want to do? How did you want to be loved and taught? Would, would the little kid, you know, third, fourth, fifth grade version of you be cool with these things now that you're doing currently? Would you, would they be proud of you? That looking back on the youngness and innocence of the children is the best part uh, to yeah. me of the movie, which always makes me think. Wonderful movie. I'm so glad that we got had to have you on for this. Yes. I think it was one of those things that was kind of meant to be. I just happened to get the confidence to shoot you a thing, and I said, hey, could you do this with us? And you're like, let's do it. Amazing. Yeah. Yep. We love it. All right. Uh, thank you once again, um, everyone. Please go check out all of our great collaborators and check out our merch. We just got this new, new little uh, graphic in. Different. Looks good. Love it. Not less. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate that. No. It looks good. <laughs> um, thank you, everybody, for watching. Uh, we really appreciate you. Go check out Jarrell's stuff. Go check out our collaborators. Uh, and with that, this is the Different Spectrums Podcast. I'm Spencer. That's Nas. All right, everyone. Much love. And remember, take care of yourself. Or don't. And that's up to you. Peace. Bye.